Will you stand again as we read the Word of God? Acts 4, 18. <clears throat> so the Sanhedrin, they, called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you have anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand would happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miracles and signs and wonders of the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All of the believers were of one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and with much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. Blessed be the name. Amen. I uh, probably could stop with the title of the sermon. The title is simple, something not mine. I picked it up years ago, and it just spoke to me so much. Live to give, and give to live. Nothing expresses the nature of Christ better than that human phrase. But Christ lived to give. He gave because he lived. He lived to give and he could not stop giving or else he would stop living. The life of God is a giving life. That's the central message of life for us. He is the life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. And that's what he means. The life, the giving life. You cannot speak of God without thinking 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I uh, did something that preachers do sometimes when you're trying to kick into kickstart into a sermon. I want to be sure I understood my topic, that I had read some scriptures about giving and all of that. So I went to the uh, Bible gateway and opened up the gate and began to look up the word give. And I was fascinated as I went through the roster of how many times the word give was given, <laughs> that it always referred to God giving. Now as the story develops in the Old Testament, you, you don't have that word related to God so much directly as you have it with his people indirectly. For later on, the, they would say, we gave to you this, or we gave to you that. Open up and see sometimes how many times the word give is applied to God in the beginning. That says something very much about the character and nature of God, see. Something about who he is and what he's like. Now, the early church had the experience of stepping into the spirit life and realizing in that moment of time how God was ready to use them to distribute his gift of life. That's simply what preaching the gospel is all about. It's what the, uh, the message of Christ is all about. It's sharing what God has given to you. If it's not resident, if he's not resident in your heart, you're not sharing the spirit, you're sharing a message, but you're not really imparting much generally. However, I find that if people are ready to receive, they can receive anything even when there's not a giver, human giver around. And that's happening in the world, by the way. We're hearing stories from countries that seem to be godless and we have marked as godless, where Christ himself is making appearance to the hungry heart people and revealing himself. And they are opening their hearts to him and coming to Christ even without a preacher except the Spirit. Of course, that he will lead them to people who are of the same spirit, because here in the community of Christ, we refine our faith, we refine our understanding, we grow in grace, because each of us has something to give of God to each other. And that's why it's vital to connect, to come together. We impart the gift of God to us, and it enriches the gift of all, and makes us all more powerful and potent in sharing the gospel of Christ as it did in the early church. Now the effect of what God did in those days for the church as they prayed was powerful. It solidified them. They got down on their knees in serious prayer and they asked God not to protect them but to give them more of what they had had already more of what they had seen Peter do, more of what had changed so many people. We know who those people were. I try to linger on this a little bit when I spoke a month ago, that they were just ordinary people. They were good people probably, as good goes. They were living mundane and ordinary lives. And Christ came and called them and led them out, and he gave them a vision beyond their own natural vision. He began to let them see there's something beyond the Sea of Galilee, 
that there's something beyond the borders of the Mediterranean. There's something in the world beyond the mountains to their east. He gave them vision to see far and believe God. One of his own, Thomas, the apostle, the doubter we call it, saw further than most. Thomas went to India. And when missionaries arrived in Madras, India, they found out that there was a group of people who professed the name of Jesus there because there was once a man named Thomas who had been among them. That's power. That's God pouring out of himself into the lives of someone who did not have anything, something that they could not have dreamed they would have, such faith, such commitment, such devotion as Thomas had. Now, I read this passage years ago as a young man. I was a seminarian, full of half-baked ideas about equality and, and how we all uh, could make a world a better place. And as usual, I saw this passage as maybe the lost system the church should adopt, where they sold their possessions and they gave everything to the poor. And I thought, if a church was like this, if there were a community of people like this, then we could change the world. As usual, I missed the point. Systems don't change people. Alterations of organization don't change. People have to be changed first to change people. Something has to happen in the human heart to make that difference. God does not order us to, uh, except he knows we'll fail in it. He did, he did say, distribute your goods to the poor, give this and give that to, you know, he's setting up a law. The law tells you to do this. It's what you should do. But if we were to restructure the church tomorrow to be a community like that, it wouldn't change a thing. It has never changed a thing. You can look at the history of the church with the monastic orders and realize they've done that and failed at that many times. I've known Christian communities who started out 30, 40 years ago to be a Christian community and distribute their goods among one another, and they failed. You know why? Because ultimately, systems encourage power structure, and they encourage the wrong thing in our hearts. In order for a system to work, there has to be order and structure. And the moment we get structure, we started adding labels. And we started putting profound names on people. And we started declaring, you're, you're, you're the, the great teacher, or you're the great father, or you're the great whatever. We studied that text this morning a little bit. Jesus said, don't call anyone father. What he's saying is don't ascribe a title to somebody. If they are father-like, fine, praise God. If they're instructor-like, fine, praise God. The gift is of God, not of the man. We will turn a gift into a title and an entitlement anytime we get the title. That's the problem with degenerate people, community. Because half of the people are still running along on the ideal that we are a community but a few among us will rise up to the top and declare they're more equal than others. That's history. See, this is an imperfect world. We do not build the kingdom. We express the kingdom. 
There are moments in time when the kingdom is expressed among God-fearing people. This was one of them. When the church in Jerusalem was waffling and wavering, God did a mighty thing. They devoted themselves, redevoted themselves wholeheartedly to preach Christ. They were available and open. Their fears disappeared. They were no longer attached to the things of the world that made them powerful or significant or they thought gave them a sense of worth. They were liberated for a while from fear. You know, church, the greatest gift of the Holy Spirit to us is liberty. Paul wrote to Galatians and said, what's happened to you foolish Galatians? Why have you returned to the bondage from which you were released? You know, stand fast in the liberty which is in Christ Jesus. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage, which is always trying to systematize the kingdom of God. We need form. We need, we need, we need people who guide and administrate, people who direct, who call some shots, who remind us. But let not one of us ever take unto ourselves the name that is, a high, that is an authority that would draw away from the authority of Christ in our midst. The Spirit of God comes to us to let us enter into the life spirit of Christ. And when we are functioning in that, we will find that liberality will become our nature. I remember years ago, look, for the sake of being specific, um, I just want to share a testimony. It's not much. Don't think anyone's ever good for responding to God or special. But 1977, I came back from a trip in Israel to my church and I said, the Lord has called us to missions. And uh, we had a mission conference. And we were not even a, con a building. We didn't have a building, didn't have a, uh, really a very organized church, structured church at all at that time. But the challenge came through that mission conference to make a faith promise to God for missions. Now, we had no building fund, no building. We just a bunch of people. Challenge came to us to make a faith promise, to pray, ask God what he would have us give in faith, and entrust him to supply what we promised. That's what a faith promise is, ideally. God tells you what to believe. You do it, and then he will supply the means. That's a real faith promise. Uh, we've modified that and tried to develop that. But if God tells you to do something, God will supply. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, God, what's your righteousness? What's your kingdom meant to be here in this place? And he will provide. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and it will be given to you. That's a principle regarding the nature and devotion to the character of God and allow him room in your heart to speak. Well, Jan and I were, beyond to tell you, I just saw some old papers the other day. My wife does all the bookkeeping. I thought, gee, I don't know how she did that. How she would look at 
those numbers and walk the way she's walked with me. But at this conference time, we were ourselves wondering how we were going to make, we were living from paycheck to paycheck. And we prayed, the two of us. We conversed. And we believed that God had told us to double our tithe. And the other 10%, we would give it to missions. Without going into detail, that has become a pattern in our life, throughout our life for a number of years. We don't give it all here, though we give where we draw from a storehouse, but we give it to many places. At the end of the year, we're trying to find out those deserving ministries that don't advertise, that don't publish themselves, we know are doing the work, they have the, char- the testimony of character and results, and we try to impart that. And there's some special ministries out here that do that. We have some here we've supported, like that water ministry here. That brother's sincere and devoted to that waterworks ministry. I'm just you singling him out. That doesn't mean that's the source you have to go give to. But look for those who are doing the work and let God touch your heart on who needs the encouragement and the support. And that's what we've done through the years. He could tell us to bring everything here to this place, but he hasn't. He didn't do it at the last church we were in either, so you know what I'm talking about. What I'm trying to say is, when that challenge came to me, I remember standing, literally standing next to my wife in the congregation. And as the speaker was speaking, I'm sure out of the Spirit of God, it felt to me, and this is literal, felt to me like somebody stuck a football needle in my side and was working the pump. I literally found myself being enlarged. I go, oh. Uh Uh-oh. God, give me the freedom to respond. And he did. And I'm telling you, that year that we thought we were going to be short funds, the needs that we thought we had were taken care of in ways we never expected. I experienced this again about a year ago, and I won't go into that detail, how we were led to give where we didn't expect to give. And I thought, why are we doing that? Merely because the Lord said it to us. It's not a ministry we'd normally support, but we did it. And within, within uh, two weeks after giving that, we got back six times as much as we had given. Now, I think that practical stories like this ought to have some merit to the church of Jesus Christ. This is what we all can have testimony about, and we may have them and haven't shared them. But when we start to measure out how much we can afford to give to this or that or the other, we're missing the mark, that system. We need to ask God what he wants us to do and do what God says to do and believe him. Now, we're going to be talking about giving this month, and it's a topic to church I don't want to do it unapologetically, church. If you're not told to give, you should not give. 
If you're giving begrudgingly, forget it. It's doing more harm to you than it is good. God has delivered us to liberality. He's called us into freedom. He's given us of His Spirit. And if we walk and live in the image of Christ, we want to be outgoing and giving. Giving boundlessly. Giving in faith. Giving in honesty. Giving in truth. Giving in longing to see the fulfillment of God's kingdom in the earth. And giving wisely. Measuring. Yes, you can measure where you think that seed's to go. By the grace of God, He'll give you discernment. There are lots of people who are generous and give to the wrong places. There are lots of people pumping the pump. Give here, give here, give, and we'll give you a blessing back. We'll send you a prayer cloth. We'll send you a bottle of oil. You'll get if you give. And they take the credit for what God does with a generous heart. You have to be discerning. I'm not saying you're never discerning. But give and it shall be given to you. Here's the point. What happened to those early disciples was that in a moment of time, they were separated from attachment to the world. They saw what God was doing. They got to thinking, here's some hungry people. God touched their hearts to sell land to feed the poor, to give to one another, to care of needs, so that none of them would have needs. That's the way the kingdom works. No government, no religious leader, nobody has a right to reach in your hand and take out of your pocket something and say, this is what God wants you to give. Only God can tell you that, and you should listen to him. Because when you do, he will cause you to open up and begin to live a liberal life. Because liberality is what it's all about. The world system causes us, calls us to attach ourselves to it. The world, the flesh, the devil, lust of the eye, pride of life, all these things are related to attachment to the world system. Someday, someday sooner for some of us, we're going to have to let it all go anyway. We're going to leave it behind. And it won't matter to anybody what our struggle was to believe or to live. They'll just take it. And if we taught our, those that we give it to to be generous, loving, they'll continue your legacy. But we're going to all have to let it go one day. Nothing matters. We can get all upset, and I do, about the injustice of the world of those who try to take and steal and rob and kill. It bothers me. But you know what? It bothers God more. And if somebody takes something from me, I can fume and I can fuss and I can feel wrong, wrongly oppressed by it. But the thing I need to remember, they robbed God of possibilities that he had of using me to distribute that to others. So I don't have to fight that battle. That's his battle. I hope you catch the spirit of what I'm saying this morning. The spirit of God is liberal. Now I'll close with another story. Jan and I just love Attenberg's uh, movies on nature. 
And Matt Attenberg talks like he can read the minds of creatures, and I don't think he can. He attributes motives to them that he uh, that are really rather human. They decided they were going to build a nest or something. You know, I listen to him and kind of laugh. Once again, man taking unto himself to know the Creator's mind in creating those creatures to do what they do. But uh, one thing I've seen in nature, and I love this man's. I'm thankful to this man's gift of exposing us to the hidden wonders of the universe through camera magic. <laughs> camera magic. Anyway, one of the things that becomes patently obvious is this, that God as the life and the giver of life has lavished upon the earth. He's a lavish giver. We could look at the world and say, oh, that's wasteful. How many salmon eggs get eaten by other creatures? How many die in a pool of pollution. How many are lost? What I see is how many are found. Do you know that 5,000 turtles can lay 15,000 eggs and they can all hatch and only 5,000 make it to the ocean and maybe two-thirds of them die off or eaten by other creatures? Well, God provided for that. The imagery of God in the Bible is that he gives and gives and gives. And if we enter into his life spirit and let his spirit into us, we become more lavish in our giving. We want to encourage. We want to pour out. We want to impart. We want to lift up. We want to build. It's a motivation that we can't stop when we're around other people. It makes us to be world changers because he's changing the world more ways than we know. If you want... To find your life, give your life away. I'm quoting a very wise man when I say that. His name is Jesus. If you want to find yourself, don't think of yourself. Don't try to preserve yourself. Don't try to save yourself. Just give your life away. And you know, even in those of us who try somewhat to preserve ourselves, even giving helps us. It changes us. It makes us more inclined to realize how blessed we are. Given it shall be given unto you, full measure, pressed down and running over, so shall men give to your bosom. Luke 6, lovely verse, totally misused by some in the past, but it's a verse, church, that speaks to my heart. Give, give, and it shall be given to you. Full measure. I like that green apron, holding up the bushel of green. Full measure, running over, so shall man give to you. Full measure, running over. That's the imagery of the Spirit. That is the image of not clinging to, but casting away. That's the image of making a change in the world without building a system by which you may be destroyed. I, if, you, if you really think that we change the world by system, just look at those who've developed these systems, community, and you'll see in time more than one have gone down into perdition and corruption because they become to feed lust 
rather than diversity and freedom. So I call you this morning in the name of Jesus to think on these things, to ponder God's life cycle. For he's revealed himself in nature. The Bible tells us that. He's revealed his character in nature, the life cycle itself. The life cycle, rain coming down, watering the earth, and being lifted back up, and coming back down, and being lifted back up, and bringing growth in the earth. When you read about the life of God, and David cites the spirit of God in the Bible, the natures, some of the psalms of nature. Look at the metaphor. He speaks of God's blessing as rivers running down over rocks. It's feeding the desert soil. It's bursting forth with plant life. It's bringing forth life all over the earth. That's the imagery of God, the giver of life. And that's what it means. When he says to us, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, out of his inmost being will flow rivers of living water. We don't possess a river. We contain for time the river, or we are conduits of the river that flow out of us. But when we receive the Lord, we cannot help but give. If you think about giving that way, you can close your ears to all of the abuses of giving that are touted in the world and ask God, what shall I give? And he will tell you. And it may be to give a, a gift that is not tax-free, by the way. We've gotten in bondage to that too, church. Oh, is it tax-free? I'll give. Why? It's God's money. He'll reward you. More than the government will, I guarantee, as the guy used to say, I guarantee God is a bigger giver than government. Don't be bound by that. They hold us, they hold us in the government uh, captive to that notion. Give, and it shall be given to you. Over this next month, you're going to get some great teachings. We already started with it. I've been reading what we're getting through the mail. It's all good. It's all biblical. But I call you to a life of the Spirit this morning, and I call myself to renew and refresh my own devotion to the one who lives in me. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you and ask you that you who gave your Son to the world, so freely gave him, that you would receive, O oh God, our offering of thanksgiving this morning. And as we gather at this table that celebrates Thanksgiving, we want to be giving you thanks, standing in awe of your great gift to us. We recognize, Father, that we are sinners and we have failed. But we thank you that you have called us to get off of that mile post and move on to the next one, the one that says you change us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.